For the next six months, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew, or I would like to call it the BOM bomb. Made that up, thought that was clever, knew that no one would agree, but I'm calling it the bomb. J.I. Packer said, once wrote, that all scripture is equally inspired, but not all equally nutritious. Uh, He then went on to use the example of how the Gospels are packed with spiritual nutrition at every bite because they are directly focused on the life and the teaching and the death of Jesus. So, this is core, and uh, and I kind of feel like not just I would like to take our church through this, but it, there's, there's almost, it's, it's, it's very compelling for me. Like, we, we have got to, as a body, eat some really good, tasty, nutritious food. Like, I don't know, what did you guys have for, Mark, what did you have for breakfast this morning? A waffles special, Mark says. Um, I'm, I'm talking like a blueberry poached egg oatmeal waffle special. Okay, and we need that. Our body needs that, and so that's what we're going uh, to do for the next six months. That's a long time, but I feel like this is going to be a really good investment. Um, Now, uh, so going through one of the Gospels is something that we need to do. We, uh, it's really important for us to do this. So now I ask the question, like, which Gospel? Well, it's interesting, if you were to ask the early church for the first 200 years, okay, without reservation, they would say that the gospel of Matthew was the most influential gospel for them. The early fathers would write letters, guess which gospel they would cite the most? Matthew. Uh, When they formed the New Testament canon, they chose Matthew not because it was written first, uh, but I imagine they chose it as number one to lead the New Testament because it was the best bridge between the old and the new. It was first in influence, first in comprehensiveness, first on multiple levels. The respected theologian William Barclay wrote of the Gospel of Matthew, he wrote this, when we turn to Matthew, we turn to the book which well, we turn to the book which may well be called the most important single document of the Christian faith, for in it we have the fullest and the most systematic account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. Now, let's talk about the author. The Original manuscripts were anonymous. It's not like the writers are trying to keep it a secret, but uh, they didn't want to make themselves too big a deal in the story that's about Jesus. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to provide little clues in the big story uh, as to who they were. So their little story in the big story And it's kind of interesting. So if you're reading the fourth gospel, there's a clue, right? John's giving himself you a clue as to where he is. And the clue is how he identified himself. And he identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was a little clue. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the second gospel, there's a clue. Mark put a little bit of a clue. Okay, so um, in the arrest of Jesus, you know, you have the, the 12 disciples, and they're all, like, fleeing for their lives. But then there's this little story, like random, this little story about this young man wrapped in a tunic who was kind of following Jesus. And then the people who arrested Jesus grabbed the man. And then the, the man, like, escaped, left his tunic, and ran away naked. Two verses. Just beep. And, and, and then it goes on. With, and then Mar- Mark is saying, oh, by the way, that was, that was me. That was me. I was there. That was me. Right? Okay. So uh, Matthew is, is going to leave, like, a little bit of a clue. Like, I was there, too. And uh, the, the, the clue happens in... Um, in uh, chapter 10, verse 3, right? So uh, Matthew is listing the 12 apostles and in the name and name and then the name and then there's uh, Philip and then there's Bartholomew and then there's Thomas and then there's Matthew, the tax collector, and then there, and he keeps on going. Now, isn't that interesting? He, he did it in a very self-deprecating way. You look at the other Gospels, no one identified Matthew as the tax collector. Only Matthew did, which is his way of saying, oh, yeah, that was me. That's who I was before I met Jesus, right? It is a little bit interesting. Their personalities are kind of mixed in. John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Matthew called himself the tax collector. It's like, ah, uh, someone has a pretty high view of themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, this uh, was written by Matthew, and he was one of the 12. Interesting, he was not the most prominent of the 12. He was one in like the, the second or the third group, but he was there. He was there. Now, um, Bible scholars have a very interesting job. All right. Bi- Bible scholars have a very interesting job. I want you to keep in mind that the original manuscripts... They didn't have, like, a title. They didn't have, I just said, like, written by. They didn't have that. They didn't have chapters or verses or section headings. They didn't have that. It wasn't even broken down into, like, uh, this piece, that, you know, this chapter. It was just, here you go. Here's the manuscript. Now, just imagine you're, like, a Bible scholar and the work that you do will be, uh, you know, uh, thousands and millions of people will, will benefit from the work that you do in terms of trying to make sense of this all. And so you're trying to look for some natural divisions within the text, right? And so, so Bible scholars, they, they got together, they, they read it, they reread it, they, and then what they noticed is that there were certain patterns that started to emerge, maybe certain patterns that were kind of undeniable. And uh, here is what emerged, and here is what they found out after a very careful reading of the text, okay? By the way, you all with me? Okay. I was like, you all with me? And I saw someone yawn. You all with me? All right. I don't know. I, am I a Bible nerd? I find this, like, s- super fascinating. Um, uh, really interesting. Okay. Okay, or here, here we go. Uh, so what they found out is there were certain patterns. And the pattern that they found out is that uh, here's like a collection of stories. Here's a teaching of Jesus. And then at the end of the teaching, it would say, after Jesus finished saying these things, 
and then it would stop. And then there will be another like collection of stories, another teaching, and it cap off the teaching and say, and then Jesus finished dot dot dot. So time and time again, story, uh, stories, uh, teachings, end of the teaching, and then Jesus finished, and then on to the next thing. Now this happens like five times. And so Bible scholars like, this is undeniable, unmistakable. There are five sections in Matthew. Now, I went to seminary for four years, and so we have words for these sections, and I like to call these sections chunks. There are five chunks in Matthew. And it is really interesting, because once you read the stories, some people have found a connection between the stories and the teaching, almost as if the teaching explains and gives uh, meaning to the stories. So uh, if you think that's true, uh, wonder if that's true, you're going to have to read the book of Matthew and find out for yourself. Now, I, I, I just want you to imagine, okay, Matthew was there. Matthew probably has source material, Matthew, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is kind of like he's being like an editor by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's putting these stories together. He's putting these teachings together, you know. And then as he's putting these teachings together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, themes just come up, you know. They emerge from the text. And it's like clearly these five things are, I guess you could say, one of the most important things that Christ wanted us to know. Now, I'm wondering if you're wondering what those five things are. I'm wondering if there's a sense of holy curiosity. You know, when, when there was a burning bush and Moses was like, huh, why is that bush burning? It said that he was curious. I wonder if you guys are curious to know what those five themes are. And maybe on your own time, you might take the book and read it and discover it for yourselves and find it very satisfying. I'm not going to tell you what those five themes are. You just... Discover it for yourself because it's right there in that book for you. Okay, uh, let's go on to the uh, original audience and the purpose. I'm going to be really quick with that. Um, the original audience, they were Jewish people. And uh, I think we have a lot in common with, with Jewish people. The Jews are very performance-driven when it came to morality and obeying the law. I think there's a lot of people in our church same sort of drive, you know? Uh, now, why was it written? What was the purpose? Okay, you, you guys ready for this? Uh, uh, again, four years in seminary, here it is. It all paid off. We don't know exactly why it was written. And I read a commentary that said it's dangerous to only read it from one particular perspective because then you read it from too narrow a lens. Clearly, the author wanted to share about Jesus. The whole book is about the ministry, the person, the authority, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of one person. So make no mistakes, this book is about Jesus. Now having said that, each of the Gospels have a distinct way of seeing Jesus. And so I would like to summarize each way uh, really quickly if I can. So for John's Gospel... It's the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. For Luke, it's Jesus is the Son of Man. For Mark, it's Jesus is the Suffering Servant. For Matthew, I want you to turn to a neighbor and give them your best guess. Just go for it. 
It's two words. That's a hint. Second word is king. That's another hint. First word is sovereign. That's another hint. Uh, how, how, about, how about them apples? Jesus Christ is the sovereign king. Jesus Christ is the sovereign king. And so we call the series Jesus is the King. All right. Uh, now this series is going to be different. And let me explain why, how it's different. It's different because in the last series, we went through First uh, Peter, and then we explained why. We're like, there's a lot of people in our church who are suffering. And this book is about how to handle suffering. So let's, let's go through this book. It's going to be very topical. Oh, this, this series and this season is different. Some of us are wondering, do I want to be a part of this? Some of us are wondering, will this relate to me? Uh, and if I may humbly rephrase that approach and say, you guys, this series is about Jesus Christ, the sovereign king. Do you want more of him? Are you, are you hungry for more of him? Do you want to be more like him? Do you want to follow him more closely? Maybe you're like, I don't really like hunger for him. Do you want to hunger for him? And if you do, yes, to any of those questions, then I would say this series is totally for you. Maybe some of you are so new to all this and uh, great. I can't think of a better way to get started. Can't think of a better way to get started than going to the first book of the New Testament and, and diving in and spending the ne- next six months talking about Jesus. Okay, so since this is kind of the beginning, I thought it would be cool before we dive in and, and take a chunk of a chunk today, I thought it'd be cool if we just kind of pray and ask God to, to bless the next six months, okay? During this next six months, there'll be more on-ramps. It's not like this is the only on-ramp, but this is clearly a start. So we're going to start here and pray. Can we have the churches stand up? And, and uh, we're just going to, uh, oh, oh, okay, I, I know what to do. I know what to do. In, in a little bit, I, I was going to give you this invitation to join along with us in your p- uh, personal devotions. And I, I took this, like, uh, I don't want to call it a formula, but kind of like a, a movement of prayer uh, and I, I just kind of stole it from John Piper, and I'm just going to actually lead us through it uh, right now, and that'll be the way that we'll start. So just, just pray with me. You, you stand, uh, and, and I'll pray. Uh, Father, we uh, just confess and admit that for the next six months, unless your Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, we're not going to get anything from this series, and we're not going to become more like you without your help without you, and so that's what we admit, and we pray for your help. Uh, We want to be convicted. Uh, We want to fall in love with Jesus. Uh, We want to see him more clearly. We want to follow him more closely, and we're definitely going to need your help and a promise. Father, uh, you have promised that your word does not come back to you empty, but it accomplishes that for which it was, it was sent for. And so I'm just believing in faith that in this series, as we learn more about Jesus, you're just going to have your way with us. It's going to be awesome. So I'm just claiming that promise, and now we're going to act, and we're going to like get into your scripture, but I'm just going to thank you beforehand that 
you're going to be speaking to people. It's going to be much more than just a dude up here speaking. But you, you and your Holy Spirit, through your word, are going to be speaking to people, just looking forward to that. And all God's people said, in the name of Jesus. All right, you guys can sit down. All right. You guys ready? All right, let's do this thing. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> We're going to skip the first uh, three chapters. Now, let me, let me explain why. Uh, um, it's not because I was afraid of the genealogy, okay? I, I was, but we're still going to do that during Advent. It just makes more sense, right? People are feeling very Christmassy during Advent, so during Advent, we're going to first three chapters. So that means we're going to start with chapter four. We're going to start with chapter four. Um, and I, I thought a really cool place to start was the calling of the first disciples because we are called now to journey along with the book of Matthew. So I thought there's parallels, good place to start. Why not start here? Okay, so we're going to read from the text, verse 17 through 22, and uh, just a little bit of explaining. Um, Jesus has just been tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. Pastor Calvin will talk about that next week. Okay, now the first three words, starting in verse 17. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, it starts with a turning point, okay? So we're beginning the series on a turning point, and uh, it starts from these words, from that time, which means that now is a new time, which means that the time before this was a time of preparation. Preparation. Now, we start here, is the time for public ministry, right? It's a turning point, yeah? Okay, um, and so these are the very first words of Jesus. Um, he's inaugurating his public ministry. Okay, and I just want you to pay attention to the very first word. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, what's the word? Uh, there was a, a, a preacher on Sproul by the name of Eddie. I think he's, but he would, his whole message was, re, his whole thing was repent. He's not still there anymore, is he? Repent. Repent is the first word. Okay, we're going to come back to that. It's not a very popular word. I don't, I, I, once I said that, I don't think people were like, yes. You know, I'm just like, wow. Okay, that's the first word of Jesus. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. I want you guys to say net. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets. I want to hear you guys say nets. And followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus uh, walks up to two sets of brothers, he pretty much says two simple words. The rest of the message is really going to be based and rest upon those two simple words. And those two simple words are, follow me. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on this because a lot of people just kind of miss this. They, they miss it. And I want to kind of explain a little bit why that is. But let's take 
uh, look at these words one at a time, follow me, follow me. Now, if we start with the word me, who is the me? Who is the person we're called to follow? When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying quite literally, I want you to spend 24-7 with me. I want you to get to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to get to know me. Now, if you've been reading the first three chapters, the first four chapters, you're getting to know who he is. And what you find out is that he is the one that these magi from the east, this little baby, and they fall down and worship this little baby. He's the one. He's the one that John the Baptist, the forerunner, says, when he comes, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. That's what John the Baptist, that's the one that you're following. He's the one you're getting to know him as you read. Yes, the genealogy, the exciting genealogy, but you find out that he is the true heir of King David's throne. That's a big deal. Who is the me that we're following? And it's totally clear that as you read Matthew, he is totally worth being fired up for. He is the one that will capture your imagination. He is the one that you will fall in love with again and again and again. And this is so clear. He is so much more worthy of just Sunday morning attendance at church. Way more worthy. Jesus Christ is the sovereign king. Uh, so one very concrete way for you to follow Jesus in this next season and just to get to know him better, and it's really not that complicated, like one concrete way is just by reading the gospel of Matthew. I mean, we just happened to pick the first, the most influential book in the early church, the most comprehensive account of the life and the death and the teaching of Jesus, I can't think of a better way to get to know Jesus better. So what we are inviting you to do is to commit for the next six months in your personal devotions to join us and go through the book of Matthew, just one chapter a week. That's the invitation. Now, if you, uh, if you look in your bulletin, can you pull out the, the outline? And if you look at the outline, on the bottom of the outline is like that little, little uh, like kind of ticker thing. And um, I, it, this is old school. I realize it's old school, but, but it's, it's, it works. It's very just concrete. And so one way that you can know that you're actually committing and saying, yeah, I'm on board. I'm, I'm going to track along with you guys is you can just sign your name. And that basically is your commitment to track along with us. Now, this is what we're thinking. If, if you go through one chapter a week and you kind of make your way through the chapter day by day, and then maybe you go to home group and they're studying the same thing, and then you come here on Sundays and you, you're, you're hearing preaching on that same thing, there's going to be double, triple reinforcement. And the idea here is, is not that you're just going to go through the book of Matthew, but the, the book... And the person in this book is going to go through you. 
Uh, we live, we're so decentralized and so distracted. We don't need one more thing in an unconnected system on our to-do list. We got to start connecting dots and, and making everything count. So here's your invitation to actually make it count. How about personally going through the book of Matthew, corporately going through the book of Matthew, and then small group going through the book of Matthew. And then that way, again, it's not like we're going through the book, but the Lord is actually going to go through us. And that's the idea. That's the hope. So if you, you want to sign up and, and signing something means something to you, then I'm going to give you like five seconds. And, and you can go ahead and sign. And you can tear it. And you can put it in your uh, uh, Bible. You can put it in your wallet. You can, I, I don't know, you can, don't leave it there on the pew, though. <laughs> you know, just take it with you. And that would be a reminder to you, okay, yeah, I'm committed to this. I'm going to do this. And, um, and maybe that will be significant to you to actually sign it. Okay. Are we good? Are you all with me? Okay. Take it on faith. All right. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the second part of what it means when Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Uh, the first thing means get to know me. The second thing means, if the emphasis on the, the first part was on the me, then the emphasis here would be on the follow. Now, I want you to look at what happens when Jesus says to Peter and Andrew. He says, he says follow me. And then he, he gives them a promise. He gives them a promise of what they're, who, what they're going to become, right? What does the text say? The text says that, <laughs> that uh, immediately they left. Now, uh, what did they leave? Well, immediately they left their nets. Okay, uh, so then, then here we have this picture, right? Right there. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a, you're, you're a fisherman, right? You've been doing this for quite some time. You do this every day. It's very tactile. You're always there with the nets. It's nets, nets, every day. Ah, the, the word here is there for a reason, and it's, it's symbolic. Those nets mean something. If you're a fisherman, what do those nets mean? They left their nets. What do the nets mean? Uh, the, the nets mean, well, the career. Like a, a net to a fisherman is like what to a doctor? A stethoscope, right? Uh, the, 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 a net to a fisherman is, is like a, a pen to a writer. It's like um, a calculator to like an Asian person, right? Are you with me? Um, it, it's your career, or you could say, I don't know, it's your accomplishments. It's, it's everything that's familiar. Every day I go with dad, every day on the boat, every day we throw the nets over, every day we reel in fish, every day it's nets, nets, it's nets, right? They left their nets. So nets is a career, an accomplishment, everything that's familiar. And going on from there, we saw two more brothers, James and John, in the boat with their father, mending their nets, and he called them, probably said, follow me, maybe said the same thing. What's the first thing they do when they respond to the call of Jesus? It was there in the last event, now it's here now, immediately they what? They left. They left what? Their boat. And then what did they leave? Their father. Can you imagine that? Where are you guys going? Where are you boys going? 
What do you do? You're not done mending your nets. Get back here. What do you want me to tell your mom for supper? James? John? Oh, come on. You know, I mean, right? Right? That's what happened. Now, uh, it's a very clear message. It's being dramatically illustrated here. Uh, unmistakably clear that when you follow Jesus, it means you leave stuff behind. It means radical abandonment. I, look at the text. Oh, okay, where are we going with this? Okay, well, hold. first and foremost, it means radical abandonment towards sin. Now, uh, this goes back to verse 17 where Jesus says, Repent. Repent means admit your sin. It means express sorrow over your sin. It means turn from sin. Okay? You got to connect those. Jesus, first thing, repent. Then leave. Okay? We're doing some theology here. Leave your sin. But the second thing is, man, you can't miss this with Andrew and Peter and Jim. It means leave your comfort. Leave your career. Leave your possessions. Leave your position. Leave your friends. Leave your family. Leave your safety when you follow Jesus. Let me ask you something. Let me just do a quick poll. How many of you guys have read this scripture before in, in, in the Bible? Before? Just, just give me, like, raise your hand for me. Okay. Uh, that's almost everyone. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you have heard, have heard teaching on this before, like a teacher, a pastor, got up here and talked about uh, this passage? Okay. okay, almost the same people. Now, um, uh, Maybe, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but maybe when it was taught, it was kind of taught like, okay, this was a calling to a certain group of people in a certain time, and what it meant practically is that you get up and leave everything, and you follow Jesus, and you get on the road, but that's kind of what it meant for them. It doesn't really mean that for us. Uh, you, probably, you, you might have heard something like that, and, and when you heard that, you're like, woo. Good, because I was starting to get a little uncomfortable when you were talking about leaving nets and careers and possessions. I was starting to get the little feel uncomfortable because, I, you know, I know Jesus loves me and he, he would never want me to be uncomfortable. I had a member of our church uh, once tell me, you know, I hear these uh, radical stories in the Bible, you know, people like leaving nets and fathers in the boat. And then he said to me, he almost like challenging me, but I don't see a lot of people doing that. And then he also said, and so... I'm just kind of used to not taking this kind of scripture seriously. Do we have stories of people actually leaving everything behind to follow Jesus? Um, well, I, I have more than one, but I, I do have one. And uh, it's the story of Mark and Jen Bello. I don't know if you guys know them. If, if you know Mark and Jen, can you just... Uh, yeah, a fair amount of people know them. They used to attend our church... They might have even met at our church. Is that true? No, I'm just making stuff up. Okay, that part I made up. But, but I, I don't know. But they met and they came to CLC. They moved to L.A. And one day, Mark is taking a shower. I know that's a weird way to tell a story. Taking a shower and he's hearing God speak to him. And he hears God say, that he is going to dramatically reduce the number of suicides in Japan. And Mark's getting excited. That sounds awesome, Lord. And then the Lord did something like, and I am sending you. Now, Mark, when he's taking a shower, he pokes out his head and says, Jen, 
you will never believe what God just told me. Now, here, here is them giving their testimony. I'll let you guys hear it from them. Thanks, you guys. Um, so tell us what is going to happen in Japan. What is this going to look like for you? Well, quick background here. About a year yes. and a half ago, uh, we felt the Lord ask us, are we willing to move to Japan? Which is really odd at the time because although I'm half Japanese, I've never been to Japan. I don't oh. speak any Japanese. He knows that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then he put on our heart uh, that he wants us to go and help work with reducing the high suicide rate in Japan. Mm. I didn't even know it was a problem. I had to do research mm. on the internet. Yeah. You know? um, someone in Japan commits suicide every 15 seconds. Wow. And unofficially, it's probably twice that. I'm sorry, 15 minutes. Yeah, 15, 15 minutes. Minutes. That's high. It's yeah, still high. Yeah. It's incredible. So for the last year and a half, you know, it's just taken us a while to get our hearts ready to say, okay, yes. It's not like we said, sure, God, whatever. <laughs> it just it takes us a while. Yeah. And we slowly say, okay, Lord, we're willing. And then um, he's led us to the point where we said, okay, Lord, we're willing to go. And we believe he's called us out mm -hmm. uh, to work specifically to reduce the suicide rate in Japan. And we're committed for the next six years. Six years by 75% over the next six yes, years. Yes. Wow. Those are specific numbers. Yes. yes. And so then what, where, tell us, Jen, a little bit, where are you guys now? What's happening? How's it been this last week? Okay, well, uh, we are leaving tonight. Mm -hmm. So tonight was the deadline to sell house, cars, everything we have, give everything away. Um, so two months ago, that sounded really exciting, like really challenging. This yeah. week, not so much. No. It was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be to let go of things. Of course, we save photo albums and, you know, mm -hmm, family mm -hmm, memory type mm -hmm. things, but we don't have any more furniture, no cars, no house, nothing. And wow. that was hard. It was uh, rough. Yeah. Um, so some of you, you're, you're hearing that story, you're like, oh, that's pretty extreme. Can we just all admit that, yeah, that's pretty extreme, right? Ah, but here's the thing. If you were to read Matthew 4, right, you read about the calling of the first disciples and the radical response, abandon everything. Okay, let's say you're like a new Christian. You're a new Christian, you're reading this, and it's your first time at the church, and you go up to the pastor and you're like, wow, when do people actually start radically abandoning things and get crazy, right? You, you would think that. You would think that you, once you come to church the first time, well, this is probably happening like all over the place, Right? And then I don't know what the, the pastors would be like, oh, actually, no, we don't do that in America. Come on, no. That was only applicable at that time for those people. N no. This is applicable now. Now. We can't explain this away. This is radical stuff. That's why I'm like reading this, and I'm like, no, this is not a boring text. This is grippy. This is like, ooh, wow, this is scary. Uh, this is Christianity. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Now, the, the first and foremost, it means radical abandonment towards sin. And, and we, we, we did cover that. But it, it also means that you are, you are leaving stuff behind. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's say that Jesus is your Lord, and Jesus is Lord of all the uh, Christians in America. And let's say also that there's 20% of the world 
And for the 20% of the world, there's no church in, the, in their city. There's no access to a Bible. And they've never heard the name of Jesus. And according to the, the understanding of Romans, these people are headed towards eternal judgment. Now, wouldn't you think that if the Lord is truly Lord, he would take some of the people and send them over to the 20% who have never heard the name of Jesus? I would just think that a lot more of that would be happening. Just saying. And let me put it like this. If America has a lot of resources, like the richest country in the world, and there's a lot of Americans who say, I follow Jesus, and then one out of every four seconds, someone dies of a preventable cause, I'm just thinking that Christians are going to be like super radically generous because Jesus is the Lord and he's called them to abandon things. I'm just, just saying, just thinking that would happen. I'm just thinking a lot more Christians would be tithing and giving generously because Jesus is Lord and he calls them to radical abandonment. Am I right? I would expect a lot of people, especially men, to say, you know, me and porn are done. I'm starting to follow Jesus. I'm starting to follow Jesus. There's no place. I'm leaving that behind. And I'm going to do this all-out war against porn. I'm going to go all out, every resource, get accountability, get prayer, start you know, meditating on Scripture. All, I would just expect that from Matthew 4. I won't expect you to explain it away, right? I, I would kind of expect a lot of people to be supporting compassion kids with money that they don't have. All right, you're like, oh, wait a second, Andrew, wait, 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 wait a second, wait, you're getting legalistic. You're getting legalistic. You're, you're being prescriptive and telling what people what to do, making us feel bad. Uh, okay, I, 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 this is where I, I have to, yeah, I have to really explain this part. And listen, listen to me, I don't want to be legalistic, I want to explain like this. Um, there, there is a scripture passage uh, where, where, where Jesus says that if anyone comes and follows me, uh, he or she must hate, and then the list of family members, their, their father and their mother and their wife and their kids. And, and if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple. And you're like, what, what is that, right? But then you, you realize he's not talking about hate actively. He's talking about hate comparatively. It's compared to your love for him. Now, there, there, there was a while where I kind of knew this, but then there was an illustration that just totally cemented it for me. And some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, um, like parents probably know what I'm talking about. Like, like in my family... Like, with my three kids, it's always the same thing. Like, when they were growing up, mommy was always number one. Now, you know, look at mommy. It's just, it's no, like, you know, you understand why, right? I, I would have, totally I would rather go to her than to you. I get that. But, but it was always like, you know, like, mommy this, mommy that. Every day, mommy. Sometimes I make a song. It's like, mommy this, mommy that. I, I know you love mommy. I know you love mommy. And sometimes it would be like mommy was about to leave for a little bit. And, and she would be like, kids, don't worry. You're okay. Your, your daddy's going to be here. And they would look at me and they go, <laughs> Right? And I, I know, you know who they love, number two? Me. But it never felt like love. 
It always felt like, it felt like hate in comparison. Because compared to her, it was nothing. But I was number two. But it was just nothing. Now, that's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. It's the orientation of the heart. That your love for me must be so supreme. You must find me so worthy and so valuable that all the other things, like everything else, it's like hate in comparison. Uh, that, that's what they were called to. So leave the boat and the net and the career and the possessions. Leave them all in your heart. Ah, but here's the thing. If you do leave it in your heart, then wouldn't you see a lot of people practically leaving it? Because it's not as valuable to them as what they have in Jesus. You would expect to see that a lot. But I'm just wondering, if we don't see that a lot practically, maybe it's not happening in the heart. And so Jesus called them and said, follow me. And they left. And they had a new treasure. Now, I'm not saying leave your career and leave your possessions, but I am saying you now have a Lord, a new Lord. And so your career is whatever he wants you to be to spread his kingdom. You no longer have your possessions. They mean nothing to you. And if all these people are starving, then I'm going to actually be really generous, right? Am I, am I, am I preaching? Is that, is that right? Does that sound right? There's a radical shift in your heart. You start to prioritize things. You start to see the, the value and the love of Jesus, and, and, and things start to change. Now, let me just, uh, let me just kind of go through certain things that, that I think would be relevant for our church. What about Sunday mornings? Wouldn't this, uh, I, I'm following Jesus and leaving everything behind, be like, okay, Sunday mornings are for God, church, and family. I'm going to be here. It could be like that. I don't want to be overly prescriptive, but that would be a great way to say I'm leaving stuff behind because I'm following Jesus. What about tithing and giving? Well, okay, Jesus, the Lord of my finances... I'm going to start tithing to my local church. I'm going to start giving generously. I already talked about porn. What about um, the homeless? I'm going to start talking to the homeless man that I walk by every day. What about bitterness and unforgiveness? By the grace of God, I'm going to do everything in my power by his grace to forgive this person that's really hard for me to forgive. I'll, I'll tell you one confession. I'll tell you one confession. Not too long ago, I was thinking like, okay, at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before Jesus and, um, and I'll give an accounting for my life. And I was thinking, is there one thing that I would regret? And you know what came to my mind? What came to my mind is that I've been neglecting my mom. And, and so I, 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 I made this covenant. I'm going to go home and take my kids home once a week and just spend time with my mom. Because the, the, the Bible says, honor your parents. And I haven't been. And I knew I wasn't for a very long time. And I feel like God w w was saying, look, if you don't, you're going to look back and you're going to regret. Like, you're right, okay. Once a week, at least, I'm going to hang out with mom. And then I'll look back and there will be no regrets. Um, there was another time that I was going for a walk and I was like, Ma, uh, Lord, uh, is there any way that I could love you more? And I felt like he just said one word, like, and I, you might have heard me say this story, and the one word was uh, Netflix. 
And he didn't say anything, anything more than that, right? And so then after that, I went on a one-year fast of no Netflix, except on Sundays. Um, I did make the mistake of leaving, but not adding something up. So if I actually said no Netflix and yes to the book of Matthew, it would have been far richer. But I just said no without saying that yes. So maybe the thing that you'll leave behind in order to have a richer relationship with Jesus is Netflix or video games. Video games. I heard this one story of someone who was walking in on a friend as they were watching uh, uh, Game of Thrones. And it was funny because it was just one of the scenes, like one of, one of the scenes in Game of Thrones. It was a sex scene. And, uh, and so the friend was watching. The other friend just kind of came in and listening and looking and then watching. And then the guy who was watching kind of like turned red and said, it's not what you think. It's Game of Thrones. It's, it's okay, right? But then I'm thinking, wait, what? If someone thinks that it is because it shares the same form, then should you be watching that, right? Like, how many guys do you know can watch that and honestly be like, yeah, it doesn't affect me. I'm just so pure that I watch that stuff. It just bounces off of me, you know? I don't know. Maybe there are some guys like that who exist in another country, you know? I am not one of those guys, I, you know? I, don't, I can't watch Game of Thrones. I, that's something for me. I just have to leave that behind because I'm following Jesus. Now, look, I don't want to get all legalistic about this, but here's the question. The question for you is this. Following Jesus means radical abandonment. Now, I said before, we got to go through this because we missed this. It's so true. I think a lot of people are like, you know, my relationship with Jesus is not very satisfying. I'll be honest with you. I come in here, I'm not really inspired to worship. Can it be because you haven't left something behind? If you leave it behind, then can it be that the person that you're following, you're going to see the, with clarity just how valuable they are, but you've got to leave. I mean, imagine Andrew and Peter being like, yeah, Jesus, I want to get to know you better. Here from the boat. Bye, Jesus. No, you've got to leave the boat, right? You've got to leave the nets. What is God calling you to leave? There's a reward. Don't just get this, like, leave, leave. No, no. There's a reward. If you leave, you're going to get more of Jesus. Again, but you had to leave and, like, read the book of Matthew, which is what I'm trying to say. Part of, part of it, it's like you leave, but you also, you're following Jesus more intently, and it's going to be more satisfying. But you got to leave. you got to kill the distraction. Now, I'm saying this because I'm a pastor and I love you guys. I don't want you guys to always be half satisfied or have your hearts half full or be in church and be like, I am half in love with Jesus. No, it's all in, but you got to leave. You got to leave that net behind. You got to leave the dad on the boat. What is Jesus calling you to leave? What is he calling you to leave? There wasn't any disciple who was like, oh, yeah, you don't have to leave anything. You are special. You get to keep all your stuff. And the rest have to leave. It was leave. Follow me, leave. Follow me, leave. There's always something you got to leave. What is God calling you to leave? And the Christian life is you're always leaving that thing. You're always leaving. I mean, the Netflix, the, all this stuff, it's, it's just recent. 
It's not like, oh, yeah, I left and I never have to leave again. You're always leaving. You're always repenting. You're always saying, Lord, have my heart. I got caught up in this distraction. Lord, have my heart again. We're always doing that. It's always follow me and leave your nets. Leave your nets. Leave your nets. What net is God calling you to leave? You miss this, you're following him, won't be as rich, it won't be as exciting. You got to leave. Father, um, I, I ask you, I did ask you in the beginning that it would just be more than a talking head, but that as I'm talking, your voice, your Holy Spirit will be talking to people. Now, I'm asking on behalf of all the people here and individuals, knowing that Holy Spirit, you know how to uh, speak individual words to people, and I, I think you will. So we want to ask, is there something, is there a net you want us to leave? Is there a, a father that you want us to leave in the boat? Would you show us either through an image or just with conviction or something that's like, oh, yeah, that's my net. Or that's my dad in the boat. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if, if, if God showed you something during that time or if he shows you something today or you just you really know what it is, I want to encourage you to ask or talk to someone else about it just because we're a church family. There's accountability. There's support. We need each other, you know. And it's one thing to be like, okay, I know what it is. But once you tell someone else, it's like, now I got to do something about it, you know. And so that would be a next step. You would tell someone and go like, during that time, I felt like God was pointing the finger on this. He wants me to leave this. What is that this?